Hi, I'm Dave Ferguson, pastor of the Collegedale Church here on the campus of Southern Adventist University. Welcome to our podcast. We're going to explore today some of the relevant words of Jesus Christ in Scripture to my life, to your life. So enjoy the message. Uh, I will tell you that it is a natural reflex when I come up to you for me to reach out my hand and say, hey, how are you doing? And, uh, you know, with all that's going on right now, people are getting more and more kind of weirded out by that. Even harder for me is if I'm the second one in and the other person reaches their hand out to me. It just so, feels so rude to go, ah, mm, that's, that's, how about no, <laughs> right? <laughs> so how many of you have mastered this, though? How many of you have moved to the fist bump? Some of you have got, I saw a little sideways thing there. Ah, that's what I was wondering. How many of you have gone all the way to the chicken wing? Yeah, a little uh, greeting there. Anybody here attempting this move? Yes, uh, sensei, we are, yes. I don't, uh, how about this one? Uh, like, do you mind standing up for me for a minute? We're going to do a little greeting here. This is one that I've seen. You're going to want to be stepped out a little bit from there. It's apparently we lift our feet and we... That apparently is really taking off, uh, so I encourage you with that as well. <laughs> you know what? There are some very um, uh, coronavirus thwarting friendly ways still as we continue on in our make friends approach. Uh, you know, the most basic and warm greeting actually comes from looking in the yeah, texting. <laughs> no from looking another person in the eye and smiling. And you can throw on top of that a wave if you wanted to. See, from right here, you could stand if you wanted to, but from right where you are, find somebody at least a row away, try to catch their eye and smile and give them a wave. Go ahead and do that right now. <laughs> wow, some of you are very well behaved and you're smiling. Very quiet smilers. I have trouble keeping my smile quiet, personally. <clears throat> uh, we here make friends has been our, our, um, our theme for this particular spring semester. We've taken to saying this thing right here a little bit. Here at the University Church, we're all about making friends through a culture of prayer. We've been talking over the last few weeks about prayer some of you, you could have slipped in and out and not even realized we were talking about prayer because we were talking about mental health. We were talking about what the scientists are telling us now about neuroplasticity and good health for your brain. And it sounds an awful lot. Once you start reading scripture a little bit more carefully, it sounds an awful lot like prayer. That in fact, for me to be healthy involves the renewing of my mind, a battle against toxic thought and toward the kind of thinking that Jesus is inviting us into. In fact, I was, I was quite curious. I received an email. Uh, again, some of us, the fear of coronavirus and so on is growing. What can you do about it? Some of you shake your head going, ah, no big deal, eye roll. Others are more worried than you are. And as, we, uh, as we're doing so, uh, an email went around in the, in the, uh, among workers in the Georgia Cumberland Conference suggesting some ways, preventative measures, uh, ways to kind of combat the coronavirus. And as it turned out, most everything in this particular email had to do with natural remedies. Turns out uh, the medical community is not terribly well aware of something we can do preventatively at this point. 
except for natural remedies. So in this first paragraph, natural remedies, try these things. Sleep. Amen. <laughs> I'll get right on it. I'll get right on that. One of my favorite remedies, sleep, followed nicely by rest. <laughs> in case you didn't quite get there with sleep, try some rest as well. Water intake, fresh air, sunlight, Moderate exercise, good nutrition, avoiding har harmful substances. And as this little paragraph closes, here are the things you can do to combat the coronavirus. It hits this little sentence, this little portion here. And involve yourself in stress management and a forgiveness lifestyle. Oh, Wouldn't you know it? Last week we were talking about forgiveness. You want to combat coronavirus? <laughs> Forgive. Amazingly, God has wired us up for successes that come by way of prayer. But as I think about this statement, one wonders, because we could very nicely come together here week after week, make friends, pray, and just stay nice and safe. Uh, but today, we're going to take a look at some of what Jesus had to say about this subject, salty. Salty, our title for today. But I'd like to invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 2 as we get started. We're going we're gonna to take a speed ramp into this message by way of a passage of Scripture and prayer. So Philippians chapter 2, in the first verse and on, say these words in the New International Version. So if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. Do nothing out of selfishness, selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves." Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And this, our Jesus, our example, our calling. We study him, we talk about him, and right now we pray to him. In our making of friendships, this salty message, would you bow, Father, Father, please draw close to us today. Bless us with your presence and your spirit and your teaching, your word, and move us, shape us, make us. Even make us uncomfortable if you need to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So uh, our first house that we owned, it was there in Berrien Springs, the one previous to the one we're in now. Uh, we, well, we had this period of time where things 
didn't go so well in the house. It seems that everything that was associated with water went bad. Uh, our, we, our pump in our well went bad. We had a sump pump in the crawl space. That went bad. Everything that pumped water apparently went bad sooner or later. And, and so I had a repairman over. He had brought a new water softener because the water softener, which was required for the hardness of the water that we had in this house, he was there with the new water softener. We're disconnecting the old water softener, and then it came time to get that thing out of there, up some stairs, down some stairs, and, and outside we were going to go with this, the two of us hauling this thing, hoping nothing spilled out this terribly salty water. We get out of the house successfully down the front two steps and onto the sidewalk and set it down because, let's be honest, if I want to combat the coronavirus, I must rest. Anyway, <laughs> so we set that down and, and then we were talking about it because it's still full of all of this salt water and we had right there off of the front walk was a stone little gardeny place with, with some plants, different places, but there's in the stone section he, he decided, hey, why don't we just pour some of this off in the, in the stones? And, and I, okay, yeah, so we're pouring the salty water out of this water softener into these stones. I see some of you shaking your head, no, don't do it. No. <laughs> You're a moron. <laughs> this is my interpretation of some of your shaking. <laughs> yeah, I really did not think that through terribly well, nor even have actually enough appreciation for what was going to happen. My wife reminds me, because I told this in the first service, that uh, actually two things happened. I was thinking about the one. Over time, a large circle out from this rock garden, a large circle of grass died. As the salt leached into the ground next to it. Didn't just die killed it for a couple of years. We also had a clematis climbing along very beautiful purple flowers at the edge of a little kind of white pickety kind of fence that was just close enough. It ended up shriveled. Yeah, it was not, uh, it's not a good thing. And that was the part that my wife remembers best. <laughs> Salty. Today we dip into this subject of salt and you and me and here we are at the university church. Make friends, come to pray. Salt, are you the salt of the world? Jesus says so. You're called to be, are we? If so, how's this work? There are some challenges and some problems with salt, are there not? I wanna take you to Matthew chapter five for a second. Matthew chapter 5, in the midst of the Beatitudes, and Jesus will also say that you are the light of the world, but in this 13th verse, he says it this way, you are the salt of the earth. Salt has good stuff, salt has some difficult things. Obviously, pouring that water softener, salty water, it, like I say, it not only killed the grass, it was a couple of years before I could get anything to grow in that ground. It's rough. Some of you may have used recently, anybody recently used the phrase, oh boy, they're salty. <laughs> yeah, did you mean something nice by that? Probably not. A current expression, ah, whew, they're a little bit salty. Sometimes we use that to express that the person is overreacting or they're acting angrily. 
So there is this element of salt that is, comes on a little too strong, like killing the grass in our personalities, possibly. Some of you are very careful how much salt you take in because of high blood pressure, a variety of other things, right, that could be going on there. And then, there, then there's the church, a nice pile of salt. And one wonders, I, you know, I've said it before, with regularity, I'll have some individual say to me, you know, it's Jesus I'm fine with, it's the church that I can't take. And I almost get the sense that if I were to really dig in, part of what they're saying is there's, a, there's, a, there's something about the church, it's like it's killing the grass around here. Jesus I love, but the church, it's caustic. The church, it feels like it's killing stuff. If it's church, I don't want to be around it. Somebody will tell you about having been hurt by the church, sure. Truth is, though, that there are good things about salt, right? First of all, salt, uh, salt enhances flavor, right? Anybody here put salt on stuff that other people get, get a little bit surprised by? Anybody put salt on watermelon? Is there a, are there watermelon salters among us with pride? Very nice. <laughs> Incidentally, the idea that salt enhances flavor is not that it enhances its own flavor, is it? You want to get a good taste, of, just grab a teaspoon of salt, get a good taste of the flavor of salt. That's actually not what anybody really is desiring. It enhances the flavor of something else that is meant to be more powerfully flavored. Ah, could it be that on occasion where we mess up is when we kind of clump around together to enhance our own flavor? instead of the flavor of Jesus Christ. Our bodies, by the way, can't function without salt. Yes, we can overdo that and our bloodstream has problems, but our, but our, our blood traveling and, and everything going on, it requires salt. In fact, if you were to figure out where to go and look, you'd see pathways through the woods, animals that find their way. Sometimes it's to a water source, other times it will be to a salt source. In fact, animals that are deficient in salt, will often find some way to get salt and then will even overdo it for a time to get their bodies back in order. You need salt to live, to survive. There's something about the balance here that's important. And then there's salt as a preservative. Of course, we have refrigeration now, so we don't think about it quite as much, but especially in years gone by, to be able to have food stay good over time, salt was used as a preservative, whether it be meats or something else. I was talking to somebody here in the first service earlier today who said their family in, in uh, he's from Bermuda, so I don't know exactly whether this would have been in Bermuda or somewhere else, his family, their whole business for years and years and years was in salt. And they would ship it to Newfoundland where, where the fishermen, fisher folks, would actually preserve their fish in salt, and then they'd send the fish back down. <laughs> Big loop. <clears throat> Interestingly, uh, salt was referred to in days gone by as white gold. Highly valued. There was a time when an ounce of salt was the same value as an ounce of silver. It was so important. In fact, the word salary, those of you that are paid a salary, the word salary comes from the Latin solarium, and that word solarium goes all the way back to the word salt. 
Some have argued that Roman soldiers were paid in salt. More likely, they were paid a stipend so that they could afford salt because Roman soldiers were given provisions that they had to carry themselves for themselves over a period of time so that they could withstand the trials and the tests and the difficulties of the war and the battle and the terrible nature of what was going on in the days to come. And so salt was given them to be able to preserve the food so that they would be able to make it through the difficulty to come. What if we, the church, what if you were a part of supplying for our neighborhood, for the people around us, the capacity to make it through the days to come? But that's not quite all. I'd like to take you to a passage of Scripture that without a very specific understanding is puzzling to nonsensical. It's one of Jesus' stories and metaphors, and we've already read it once, but you could easily miss it if you're not careful. So could I. So we're going to go instead to Luke chapter 14 and take a look at some things. Luke 14 comes right before the 15th. That shouldn't surprise you. You remember Luke 15, that's the, that's the uh, chapter in which we have the three back-to-back-to-back parables of something lost being found. This is all a part of what Jesus wants to get to, is this notion that I have come to seek and save the lost. But in this moment, he has been healing, he has been preaching and teaching, and a large crowds are starting to gather and follow him wherever he goes. But Jesus looks on the crowds, knowing that his heart is all about saving the lost, and he is suspicious of us church people. That we are more about church than we are about the Jesus of church. That we enjoy coming to a padded pew, controlled temperature, nice place with great music. By the way, that was fantastic. With some friends that look like us. And we're more interested in being in a pile of salt than we are in seeking and saving the lost. That we could read our little statement that we're all about making friends through a culture of prayer and yet still not look outside ourselves at all. So Jesus, in the 25th verse, we read, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, you know what, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, Yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. He's looking at the masses. He's looking at a large crowd. I don't know how large, but he's saying, hey, wonderful. It's awesome that so many people came to renewal today. That's a, that's a beautiful thing, and we're glad you did. But you should know something, this Jesus says. As I look around, I know some of us are not here because you're here to follow me. Adoration merge, connect, some other place of worship, we come together sometimes for our own reasons. You should understand this as Jesus looks on the crowds. You know, it's fascinating. I'll take you to a verse or two in John chapter 2. John, John's gospel, he has just so recently uh, been baptized by John the Baptist, and 
disciples are starting to follow him. And then there's the wedding feast at Cana where he does his first miracle. And that's followed quickly by his going to the Passover, going to the temple, going to this large worship community. And he walks in and he sees that the worship and the sacrifice, it's all about themselves. They've turned it into a, a, a point of commerce, a marketplace for selfishness. And he's flipping over tables and tossing coins and all this stuff has happened and then these words hit us and our hearts. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, this 23rd verse of John 2, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. They started to follow. They believed in his name. But Jesus, check this out, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. He knows. He knows that you and I might come together here for our own reasons instead of his. He knows that we will regularly develop habits and come just because of habit. He knows some of us will come as long as my daughter or my son's illness might be healed. I don't know if it reminds you at all, but there is a whole wing of Christianity devoted to a mentality that says, follow Jesus and he will fix it. Whatever your thing is, follow Jesus and he will fix it today. You got some money problems? Give an offering first and then he will fix it. You have a health problem? Pray to Jesus and those who are truly praying to him, he fixes it. You need a job, he will fix it. You need a home, he will fix it. We refer to it as the prosperity gospel, and it is a hard theology to track through the pages of the New Testament. Because Jesus will say things like, you know these crowds? They're in it for themselves, and I know the heart of man. And some of you will sing beautiful songs as long as you think you're getting yours today. But I, Jesus says, I, the Lord your God, call you to be my hands and my feet. I call you to follow me and where I am going. James, John, do you really want to sit at my right hand? Do you know where I'm going? You're thinking of the Messiah who's going to throw out the Romans. How about the Messiah who will be killed by his people? How about the Messiah who would become your servant. Ah, he knows in the heart of man there is a natural desire to clump together with like-minded folks and maybe even create a nice pile of snow-white salt. Let's get ourselves together. That'll be wonderful. And Jesus says, yeah, I know. I see it all. I see it all. But not everyone here is here to follow me because I'm leading you to a place other than just this pearly white snow pile. Follow me. Well, the words get a little bit harsher and more difficult to even fathom as, as in verse 26 of Luke chapter 14, he goes on and says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And that fills us with consternation. What in the world are you doing here, Jesus? I thought God was love. I thought we were supposed to love others as ourselves, and yet I'm supposed to hate others as what? I'm confused. 
Well, just to be clear, this verb that is used in this space, in other Gospels, they change it. It's a different verb, and it helps us actually understand where, where Luke is very literal and uses the exact words, Matthew uses the thought. So check it out in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anybody who loves their car more than me is not worthy of me. Anybody who is loving their potential career in the future more than me, that's not, that's not it. If you are loving comfort more than me, that's not what we're, what we're after. If you prefer your reputation to me, then that's not following me. When it comes right down to it, you're going to be faced with choices. And there will be self-service or there will be God-service. That's the question. Jesus is, is stopping everybody in their tracks and saying, hey, look, right now are the good days. Right now is that Jesus walks through a town and by the time he exits the town, everybody who has a disease or has a demon is healed and that demon is cast out. This is time of plenty. It's a wonderful time to follow me. Yeah, mm-hmm. But you need to, I want to caution you. I want you to count the cost because what I am calling you to is a place of the cross. And we're talking about the cross. It's a torture instrument, not the cross of silver chain lovely symbol. We're talking electric chair. That's what I'm inviting you to. Rejection. That's what I'm inviting you to. I'm inviting you to a place where the battle is waged and our privileges are deferred. Huh. Kind of nice to be able to embrace a prosperity gospel, not this approach Jesus is taking, but as if he's not sure he can trust we've gotten it yet, he pours on the words in a couple of little parable metaphors about how you and I should think. He says in verse 28, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Hey, look, you need to count the cost. God is asking you to follow him. Jesus says, come, follow me. But it's not just to the easy places, it's to the difficult places. And if you only walk halfway, others will look on to this Christianity you suggest and they will mock They will mock you, they will mock me, he says. This convenient gospel, this one that only walks part way, no, 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 no. Suppose a king is about to go to war against another king in verse 31. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him? With 20,000? And if he's not able, he will send a delegate. Let's just negotiate peace. Let's just surrender. Let's just work out a treaty if that's what we're going to do because you have to weigh out the cost. You need to know what is being asked of you and I'm telling you what's being asked of you. Take up a cross and follow me. This whole idea of salt, it is that you will be used. Are you willing to be used? Well... Can I be used in pretty ways? Can I, can I be used in just the ways that I feel confident about? The ways I've practiced? 
How about, can I be used in the ways that people compliment me for? That make me feel good because of the thanksgiving of others. Can I be used? And Jesus says, how about this? Are you willing to be used in ways in which other men and women will revile you? Where those who haven't counted the cost would turn their back on you? Are you willing to take up a unique, personal, sized for you cross? Yeesh. I don't know how that's going to sit with my stress reduction for coronavirus um, <laughs> fighting. And then Jesus says something kind of strange. He starts it by saying, oh, and by the way, salt is good. <laughs> okay, salt is good. Yep, salt is good, and salt is expensive, and salt adds flavor, and we might not even use it to add flavor because we need it to preserve, and salt is necessary for us to function, and he goes on. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Scientists among us, just calm down. Wait a minute. (laughs) Verse 35, you know what? If salt loses its saltiness, it's fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown out. Huh? What? By the way, Scientists among us would be anxious to make sure we understand that sodium chloride, NaCl, it does not change flavor over time. It either is sodium chloride or it's not. (laughs) However, those studying the salt of the day, Palestinian salt, for instance, would largely be harvested from the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea in which no life can really exist because the salinity is so high. But harvested out of the Dead Sea or from some quarry somewhere there, it's not going to be the pure salt we now have. It would be a mixture of components sodium chloride, magnesium, potassium, calcium sulfate, otherwise known as gypsum, and others, right? And what we understand in the day is that that kind of salt, white as we would expect, though maybe not quite as pristine, over time could deteriorate and disintegrate some of its salinity, leached out into the soil. Gypsum would dissipate and other... So one of the ways that you might know, is this good salt or not, is you just take a, take a little bit, taste the saltiness. They say that salt left outdoors under normal conditions in that part of the world might last okay as long as 15 years. But their perception was salt was meant to be used or it will go to waste and it will go bad. Okay, great. But you're going to have to help me out just a tiny bit with the whole idea of kind of being disappointed that salt can't be put on manure. What's up with that? Again, if you study a little bit the activities of the day, this white gold was used as fertilizer. 
In fact, the components put together the way they were, potassium and gypsum and the sodium chloride, all of that, if, if used correctly, it would actually bring soil to life. Now, by the way, you can't pour it all on in one spot and just douse it like I did with a water softener, by the way. Salt that is too, uh, too strong, too, uh, too, too much of it all in one space, it can become caustic, hmm, and destroy instead of building up and being used for growth. But under the right conditions, with the right measure, you can actually put salt in the earth and it helps things grow, just as fertilizer all by itself. It can help dissipate water in places that are too moist. It can help kill weeds that are surface and help plants with deeper roots to grow more, more quickly. Fascinating. And then the manure? Actually, manure would be collected for fertilizer, but one of the problems is, as you're collecting at, the, at certain times of year, it would end up being in a manure pile, and over some short period of time, the manure would ferment and rot and could not be used as fertilizer. This otherwise valuable resource would go bad. <laughs> Your manure is going bad. And what they found was, if you actually sprinkle salt on it, this mixture of compounds, it would preserve the manure and make the manure capable of fertilization. And so Jesus says, you are the salt of the meat. Now, you are the salt of the bloodstream. Uh-uh. You are the salt of the watermelon. Nope. You are the salt of what? The earth. The earth. You are the salt of the soil. You are the salt that allows for spiritual growth. You are the salt that can go in to the dirty places. You are the salt that can go to that which might only be characterized as excrement and bring about new life. You are the salt of the earth, but let me just say something, Jesus says. Look it out on the crowd. I don't trust the crowd because I know some of us are here just to be a part of the salt shaker just to be in a pretty dish, just to be in this white pile. And what I'm telling you, Jesus says, is I've brought here for you here for refreshment. I've brought you here for spiritual growth. I've brought you here to sing songs of worship, to pray up, to build up, to study up, but to follow me. And where I'm going is out where the lost are. I'm going to the uncomfortable places. I'm going to the places where grass doesn't grow. I'm going to the places that smell like dung. I'm going to the people that don't look like you, don't have what you have, don't talk like you, don't eat the same stuff. I'm going to the places where the lost are and I'm asking you to go. 
There's some bizarre principle God seems to have tied himself to that he desires our fertilizing power for his spirit to cause growth. It's crazy. But you are the salt, not the salt of the church, the salt of the earth out there. How we here at the university church all about making friends, bathed in a culture of prayer. But if we stop there, if we stop there, we'll be satisfied because I've got some friends here. We'll be satisfied because I have, I have conversations with Jesus. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. There is a fight going on. There is a battle happening. There's a building being built and I've counted the cost of you. Did you count the cost? You might end up having to be a little bit uncomfortable. You might need to risk a little something. You might have to be a little bit courageous and not always settle for what is safe. And Jesus is not suggesting we go stand at the edge of the temple and throw ourselves down just to prove that God would rescue us. That's not his kind of theology either. But he is saying, look, you're going to be called upon to go to some difficult places. And they might just be around the corner. It might be that dorm room where the people, they they act like they don't like you. Maybe they don't, they don't cooperate during the time you're trying to study. Or maybe you know that there's a habit that they're forming and you don't know what to do. Maybe it is because you know that there is a family that just doesn't seem like they have friends. They don't seem like they're on the inside. They're just different. People talk about them. You know what? You don't need to travel to Kenya to find the others. You don't need to go all the way. This is one of the things I love most, though, about our mission trips is that usually on these short-term missions, something happens in our heart. And the soil of our heart is cracked open, and somehow we're given a little bit of salt, and we can feel the difference. We can tell the difference, and it causes us to be willing, more willing to take up a cross and follow him, to see others. You know, we don't have to go to some other country, some other state to find refugees, do we? They live here. And you know there are refugees in our community that cannot have their addresses published because they live too close to Christians. And it's not safe to live that close to the salt pile. Because staying apart in our little holiness, we become caustic, and we lose sight on the, of the mission of Christ. You don't have to go out of this county to find impoverished people, people in distress. You don't have to go somewhere else to find a prison. You don't have to go anywhere else to find people who need second language English taught to them. You don't have to go somewhere else. Hey, 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 college jail church member, you don't have to go off of this property to find individuals who aren't clear, aren't sure about Jesus Christ. They come here every year like clockwork. Some students who love and know Jesus Christ deeply and others who do not, and they don't always look that different from one another. And Jesus has said, yeah, I've got got salt here, but you're supposed to, can you not even toss it as far as the dorm? Looks like salt. 
Should we be leaching out the important ingredients? Burning the grass, killing the flowers. In the name of Jesus. Ah. Whosoever does not carry their cross and follow me, they're not my disciples. It doesn't matter how close they are walking to me. Do you know when Jesus Christ struggles with his cross through the crowds, there were many, many people walking with Jesus that day. Just because you claim, just because I claim the name of Christ does not mean his spirit inhabits me. It's possible that I've seen something good that I want. And it's a tricky thing because the forgiveness and love of Jesus Christ is something we do want and we should want, but there is something that happens when his love invades us and it changes our perspective and it turns us into salty, salty, salt, ready to make a difference for the people around us. You know something. I, I would bet it. You know something God has been poking at you about to be salt. That maybe you've been building up walls, kind of humming really loudly, to try to avoid. And if you know nothing, by the way, if you know nothing you could do in the name of Jesus Christ, come see somebody else. Just start speaking that around. I got nothing. I don't have any ideas. Somebody, please, hopefully, just keep directing them to others until we find somebody. I'll be happy to sit down and say, well, hey, well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? A little bit of brainstorming. You will find your calling in Jesus Christ and it won't be simply to stay inside the safe walls of the church. This is a great place for us to come for refreshment, to come to praise Jesus Christ, to even invite others to. But we must have relationships. We must scatter the salt on the earth. For you and I, we've been called to follow Jesus and be the salt of the earth. I redirect you as we close to Philippians 2. A couple of little selections from what we read at the onset. In humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. This Jesus who made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I don't know what you're afraid of, but I know this if you follow Jesus Christ, you are safe. Not the kind of safe that this world knows, but the kind of safe that defeats death itself. Even if the pathway leads straight through a tomb. Lord Jesus, <clears throat> we look salty, we sing salty, 
We talk fairly salty. Could your spirit please, please draw so close as to make us salt? For some of us, we've sat together in our holiness just long enough to have lost our saltiness. May we look past ourselves and see you in our community. May we understand the needs of the world around us, hungry to find the lost, careful and caring to go to the broken places, the the places where grass doesn't grow so easily anymore, the places that others might describe as a manure pile. May we go to those places less popular, hurting, and difficult. And may we cast us into the soil, Lord God. Cast us into the places where you have something you want to grow and you know there is fertile ground. Would you use us? Use us. Make us salty. In your name, we claim the promise that you choose us to be the salt of this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. And happy Sabbath to you salty people. (laughs) 